You are listening to Do You Mind, a podcast specially commissioned by IT Sligo Student Counselling Services, produced by KBH Productions. Welcome to the very first episode of Do You Mind? I'm Caitlin Harding and joining me is Siobhan McNally, Psychologist, Student Counselling Services at IT Sligo. Siobhan, you came to me earlier this year as you wanted to create a student-focused podcast series that centres mental well-being. Can you tell me why you wanted to create this podcast? Yeah, hi Kate, absolutely. Um, I suppose the main thinking and the reasoning behind it really was just to create another resource that's available to students in relation to their mental health. Um, a number of students that had been attending myself had just mentioned that they find the medium of podcasts really useful um, in just hearing other people's stories. So really the main reason behind this is an additional support that's available to students where they can get information about their mental health. This podcast series refers to mental wellness and contains conversations that some people may find upsetting. There will also be some occasional strong language. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in any of the episodes, please contact support services. The contact details for support organisations will be shared at the end of each episode. This series was recorded remotely during the beginning of 2021, and so the audio quality can vary from guest to guest. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting about anxiety. Yes, that dear friend, anxiety. Our guest this week, our head of counselling for DKIT, Gertie Raftery. Gertie is also the chairperson of PISHI. Also at the table is one of Ireland's most inspiring mental health advocates and public speakers, an active polymath. He is also a best-selling author, award-winning podcaster, musician, philanthropist, and a former professional athlete, Niall Breslin. Gertie and Niall, thank you so much for joining us today. Nice to be here, so this podcast is going live in September and it's specifically aimed for the students of Sligo IT to kind of give them um, a voice and to give them a place to go to go, actually, this is what is going on in my head. And then to point them in the right direction to help with the transitions that happen when we start in college and to help with all that comes with it. Today, we are going to be talking about anxiety. And Gertie, you and me were having a chat beforehand and you were saying that anxiety was an important part of being human. Human. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, anxiety is what makes us get up in the morning and makes us do anything. I mean, we need to be motivated and a lot of that comes from, oh my God, I need to do, oh, I need to finish, oh, I need to do this. So the first thing to say is that it's absolutely a normal and necessary part of life. And I think sometimes we use it like it's something wrong with us. I suppose it's if it's acute, if it, if it gets in the way is the issue. And you were talking about students starting college. If they weren't anxious, I'd be worried about them because any transition brings up our anxiety. So you've had, as new students, you've had loads of transitions already. You went to school, you went to primary school, you were petrified hanging on to your mother's skirts or your dad's (laughs) hand and didn't want to go in. You got over that. And then you went to secondary school, even worse, because you were 12, 13, a teenager and going into a brand new setting. And you conquered that. And this is just another one. But yeah, it's new. It's different. And yes, you'll be feeling anxiety. What is it? I suppose I always say to my students when we're when we're having starting sessions and they're saying, I, I have anxiety or I suffer from anxiety, which I don't like saying suffer from, but that they have excessive anxiety. What is it for them? Because it can, I suppose, it can manifest itself in many ways. One way is 
worrying. This is the big one, worrying. Oh my God, oh my God, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, and we're always predicting the future, which we have no power over. So over worrying, overthinking. Oh, why did I say that? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have. Oh my God, they're going to hate me. Overthinking. I suppose panic attacks then would be quite a common thing where, where you actually physically are overcome, can't breathe or whatever. And a very common one is social anxiety, where we're shy, don't like meeting new people, avoid situations. So there's lots of ways that we can feel it. And they're all they're all perfectly understandable. And later on, we'll be talking about ways to manage those, I think. Yeah, completely. I think social anxiety is going to be one of the big markers yeah. for people. You know, um, I think that impacts us in every stage of our life, but mm-hmm. I think particularly when starting out something new. Brezzy, for you, you've obviously spoken so much about your own anxiety and your own path around um, you're not managing it, but, you know, being open and, and honest about it and having a place to be heard and how to um, help people deal with it and cope with it when it becomes overwhelming. What would you say to anyone that is starting something new now? What would your biggest advice be, I suppose? Uh, I think it's funny. Most of my anxiety and most generally people's anxiety and suffering comes from the fact that they believe they shouldn't suffer or this shouldn't be part. Life is a straight line. Life isn't linear. Life is not a straight line. This pandemic's proven it. I think what this pandemic has done as well, well, generally over the last couple of years, we've been rushing to label people Mm. and diagnose them with something. If you're freaked out, if you're absolutely overwhelmed, if you're going out to the back garden screaming at birds every now and again, good, good. These are normal, rational human responses to a pandemic. And yet we have these washes of people trying to diagnose people with you have an anxiety disorder. Of course you do. Of course you do. And that's the thing. It's this is what we've done is we've, we've started to clinicalize normal human responses. And I interviewed an amazing psychologist for the podcast recently called Dr. Lucy Johnston, and she has a framework called the Power Threat Meaning Framework. And she she feels that we need an alternative to this kind of constant biomedical model of you've anxiety, you've mm-hmm. depression, you've all these different things. Um, I went through what I can only regard as quite um, uh, the, the only bout of depression I've experienced was 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 quite acute and over a period of about 10 months. It wasn't a bad day. It wasn't a bad few days. It's, that, that's not what depression is. And we need to stop calling ourselves depressed if we're having a shit day. It, it, and also the other thing is, and I'm sure Gertie, you'll, you'll agree, as a counselor, psychologist, a therapist, doctor, or healthcare professional at any level, the, the first question you shouldn't be asked is, what's wrong with you? It should be, what happened to you? what happened to you why are you that way look at ireland look at the way we've repressed who we were for years and years and years we went from i'm not going to get all historical and you know any but we went from colonialism into catholicism we never owned our own morals we never knew what we stood for we never under we always looked for other people to tell you what our values were and now ireland has finally come on you know creating its own autonomy over itself and with autonomy comes anxiety because you have to choose what path do you want to take? And when you go to college, that's another decision you're going to have to make. That's a real standing point in, in your life. And you need to experience anxiety. And what I teach the mindfulness therapist is the first thing I'll say to somebody who's an- anxious is, where do you feel it in your body? Where do you actually feel it? Because what we do in anxiety, and Gertie, you probably agree, mm-hmm. is you shouldn't use the mind to try and calm the mind down. The mind won't calm the mind down. It'll just make a spiral. That, that's what the mind does. It's hilarious. The body can calm the mind down. Mm. So next time you feel anxious, go, 
where am I feeling it? Mine's my throat. Mm. And then I touch it and I go, and I breathe with it. And that all of a sudden it slows down that spiral that we mm. sometimes get with panic. And now all of a sudden your body is calming the mind down. And the mind is going, I'm okay, I'm okay. And your central nervous system just needs to be talked to. And I think that's the idea of anxiety for me is don't fear it. Mm. Don't don't give it that power that media want to give it and society gives it now. It's normal. It's wonderful. It keeps you alive. And it is a pain in the hole sometimes. <laughs> but that's life. Life isn't meant to be easy all the time. No, no, absolutely. And I totally and absolutely agree with you. And what, what we see quite often is somebody come in to me and they'd say, oh, I'm, I, I've suffered from anxiety. And I'd say, okay, tell me what you're feeling. And it's not anxiety. Well, I remember a client of mine came in and she said, oh, I'm so anxious today. Really, I'm so anxious. So I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, my child is sick. And I said, well, that's not anxiety. You're worried. Your child is sick. That's not yeah. anxiety. So what we do an awful lot is rename it because it's not anxiety. It's anger. It's loneliness. It's hurt. It's trauma. It's upset. It's lot, people being lonely and lost. But it's not anxiety. So any, any heightened feeling. The te- people tend to describe it as anxiety and it's not you know and, and it's I not totally, to diminish that either yeah. it's not diminishing no your, it's your, horrible your feeling it's a horrible feeling and the other thing you know you were saying there about you know accept it accept it and this is part of it you know part of part of living is being anxious it is yeah. being anxious and not being not being afraid absolutely yeah and the other thing you, you have to remember okay when we were since we were children the minute we came into this world, and still with children, I see parents going to their kids, don't be anxious, don't be sad, don't be scared. I'm like, do be those things. They're yeah. important emotions. They're just as valid. And here's the thing where we have to be really careful because the wellness industry is is actually causing problems. And yeah. it's causing problems because it's telling us to airbrush out this stuff. And these are core emotions. And we need to understand and explore these core emotions. We need to not fear these core emotions. But I understand why we do, because from the age of not, we were told not to experience them. Experience them. Be curious to them. Think about And that's what mindfulness teaches. Mindfulness isn't about relaxation. And I can see it being utterly commodified now. I can see what I call map mindfulness. It's what's happening is we're going, it's all about relaxation. It actually, that's the last thing it's about. It's about insight. It's about gaining insight into yourself. The stuff that you don't like gaining insight about. The stuff that can really freak you out sometimes that's the stuff you got to learn to sit with because if you can disempower that you can disempower everything that can include grief relationship yeah. issues forms of trauma yeah. and everybody has trauma and trauma can be very nuanced it could be that our soul teacher when you're seven years of age that said something that made you feel small it could be abuse it could be systematic abuse. it could be all an array of different things and it's for me i i might be wrong Gertie, but i think from speaking with so many psychologists they always say it's when that happens can have a huge huge impact in your life so as a as a when i was a child i went to in a deeply abusive primary school where i was hyper vigilant all the time because i was wondering whether whether the teacher's going to hit me at any given moment and i was a bowel little fecker as well so i got a few (laughs) slaps but the point being is my brain then learned in that really crucial development stage to be hyper vigilant all the time and that is the anxiety that i experience and have still so it, it, it really, that's insight. I gained that from mindfulness. But Niall, I totally agree with you. And to me, the absolute scourge, if I was to pick out the worst trauma that I see in my office every day, it's bullying. That's it. 
It's horrendous. Mm. It's all pervasive. And nobody, none of my clients ever think of that as traumatic. And they say, how could what happened to me when I was six be affecting me now? And I said, how could it not? How could it not? You were terrified. You were full of fear every single day. So it's horrendous. But just to say one other thing I often say to my clients about anxiety, I say, okay, the one good thing about this is who causes it? Where does it come from? You cause it for yourself Hmm. and you can stop it. Whereas if, God forbid, you're being abused and somebody else is hitting you or, or threatening you or whatever, or just treating you badly, that can be hard enough to shift. But this actually is within your control. And that's really important for, I think, clients sometimes to realize because with anxiety, you feel out of control. And this is about handing it back and say, actually, just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath here and now and see what happens. And you can literally see them sink into the chair immediately. And you say, okay, look what you've just done. And teaching somebody the most simple breathing technique, and I totally agree with you now, going into relaxation and meditation, even though they're wonderful, absolutely. But there's no point doing that with somebody who's freaking out. You have to say, let me give you one simple one. And the one I give them, there's hundreds of them, is the yoga breath. In for four, hold for four, out for four. Two normal breaths, do it again. Because I, the reason I do that is three, five, sevens, but they can't remember that. You can't remember that if you're freaking out. So four, four, four is very easy. And we do that and immediately you see them coming down in the session. And the breath is the important thing. That's it. Every anxious client I have, I sit now and say, put your hand there or put your hand on your diaphragm. Is it moving? No, it isn't because you're breathing up here mm. high and fast. And they're, they can't even get their words out because they're so caught. And you just get them to slow down. Breathe it in. I think it's important to point out there as well that some people with panic disorder struggle with meditation because they don't want to focus on their breath. I was Mm. that person Mm -hmm. for so many years. Mm -hmm. I hated Mm -hmm. focusing on my breath. So I started to focus on my body instead. Mm -hmm. We always think that the only anchor of Mm. our attention is our breath. I can get people with panic disorder to focus on a happy memory. And Buddhism will teach you that Buddhism, there's this belief that mindfulness is present moments. Mindfulness isn't present moment. Mindfulness is anchoring the attention. And if you go back to Buddhism where they, you know, the many from Sanskrit was saying that it wasn't, it was being able to grab your attention and just bring it to one thing. And that is really what I try to do with meditation. And another really useful breath for people, I worked with a guy called Dr. Dr. Andrew Huberman for years. He's a neuroscientist in Stanford, and he is one of the best people I've ever heard talk about anxiety because he's one of those guys who goes in and breaks the brain down in every aspect. Sometimes he over-intellectualizes, and you're like, dude, just tell me how to deal with it. I don't want to know the 10-year research you did leading up to it. But this thing is called the physiological sight. And what it is, is it's a one-way communication to your central nervous system. It slaps it in the face and says, you're okay. That's what it Mm -hmm. does. So it, it creates a, it kicks off a set of neurons in the brain that basically communicate to the central nervous system that you're safe. And that is a simpler breath. It's in through the nostrils really sharply, two inhales, and then a very, very long exhale through the mouth. So it's... It's all in the exhale, really important. Extend that exhale. And what that does, if you want to really check that, measure your resting heart rate, and then do that breath three times and watch your heart rate come down. And that's the thing. This, there's as much science we think with the mind and the brain and consciousness that it's up there and there's nothing we can do about it. That's bullshit. That was taught to us in school because any time we brought it up, mm-hmm. we were like, oh, that's nonsense. You know, um, mental fitness is nonsense. You have what you have, i.e. Pr- I'll pray it 
out religion it. And he went, no, 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 learn. And, and I'm incredibly spiritual and I, I'm certainly not religious because I was bet out of me by the time I was eight years of age. And I have, I have no problem with faith. It's the institutions I have the problem with. If you get comfort from something, my spirituality is the fact that I believe I believe we're all connected in some way. I don't believe we're just these random individuals all going about our lives. I think we're connected. And that's why I get really kind of disheartened when I see people rip each other limb from limb on Twitter, on social media. Mm. Uh, we can't we can't survive in this world without each other. And that's that's mm. the collective consciousness that I, I try to promote through mindfulness. And that's not hippie stuff. This is neuroscience. Yeah. This is if you want to label it hippie stuff because you're you're too uncomfortable to have the conversation, go for it. But yeah. go talk about football all you want. It's not going to help you deal with your anxiety issues or deal with your 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 traumas or your relationship problems or these other things that are just part of life. Yeah. And, yeah. and try the breathing. Two different types of breathing we've talked about there. Try them. That's mm. all we're saying. Try them. See what works for you. And, and the same thing won't work for everyone. And I'm always saying to clients, you're going to have to try a range of things and see what's yours. I never tell them one way. There has to, you know, you're, as you say, now they're individuals, so you'll have a different way. For some people, it'll be sitting out under a tree. Great. I don't care what it is as long as it works for you, and you know it. But the, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, the body is the start. And in Ireland, we were taught to cut that off mm-hmm. because that was our sexual part and that was dirty and whatever. So cut mm-hmm. off, stay up here, don't go down into your body, just forget about it. So actually bringing clients into that. And you can see the look on their face when you say to them, let me know how your body feels. And they kind of look at you and go, what? And I say, you know, this a scanner. Can you take your attention? Just scan your body. Just do that. And they go, oh, yeah. Oh, my back. Oh, yeah. And they look at you like you've given them the keys of something. Mm. And it's the way we've been taught, abused, I think, mm. abused to forget it. And that's that's the seat of all our pleasure. This is mm. the stuff that causes us problems. Mm. Our body is the seat of all our pleasure. Taste, touch, food, sex. I mean, all mm. of it is in our bodies, not up here. You know, there's very little joy that comes from up here. It's usually, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Stop it, stop it. You're stupid. The body never does that. It doesn't tell you any of those things. I think um, it's fascinating to uh, be opening this conversation with such a real relatable um, way of describing anxiety and and what it is to be human. I'm somebody who has been diagnosed with CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. But the thing is, for me, it's not about the disorder. That label has enabled me to go, oh, my brain's at it again. It's trying to protect me and I'm no longer in danger. And, you know, through therapy and through, you know, Bresi, I'm one of those people that I couldn't do yoga for such a long time. I couldn't do body work for such a long time because it would cause me to to go into this kind of panic. I'm not doing mm. it right. And what I realized is if I put my two feet on the earth mm. or if I go and I sit beside a tree mm. that is the thing that gives me solace mm. and you know what I one of the things we're doing in this podcast um is every single week we're going to be giving a unique insight into a place in Sligo or an activity in Sligo that you can do to get into your body to get actively into your body um one of the things I hear in the chat that the two of you had as well is this real word acceptance mm. 
-hmm. And it's accepting where you are in the present moment and accepting what's going on for you and allowing yourself to have a voice. And so much of what we have talked about is the fact that we don't have a voice and people, especially students, I think, who are coming out of a pandemic. This is going to be going live in September. They're coming back to campus. The, the world is opening up and they've experienced something that has been very, very unique to their generation. And what's happening is that they're just going to be so looking for guidance online and not actually being in with the real reality of just sitting with their body and with their peers. Mm. So this exact conversation, I think, is what's needed. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. brilliant. And it's point to point out there as quick as well. Okay, I do a lot of work with one on one with people. Um, some people have really difficult relationships with their body, too. And that's mm-hmm. why you need good people, good therapists who are mm-hmm. qualified, who understand mm-hmm. and have seen and heard it all. Um, you know, and, and that's why I'm very protective of the space of mindfulness as a as a therapy. Because it is difficult, and sometimes you're 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 you have to deal with people who are incredibly uh, sensitive and distressed and other issues. And Gertie, you're you're the same. So mm. I, this idea that mindfulness is this one one quick fix that will help everybody really scares me a little bit. And for example, if I'm working with somebody who has a negative relationship with their body, and I know that we can work with that, and mm. we can help, and we mm. can find other ways to help people find space. But the body is such a unique tool. Mm. And the other thing to say is. If you feel that anxiety, if you feel it, your mind and your consciousness is telling you that the world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Make it big. Mm. Stand up to it. I'd say take a panoramic view. Look as far to the, as your eyesight can see. You know, up in Sligo, especially one of the most beautiful counties yeah, in Ireland. Yes. I used to go on holiday in Mullochmore every summer. Look, don't make your world small. Make it big and stand up to it. And don't take a portrait mode of your world bring it up and 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 that's that these are things your body will then go fuck yeah i'm not dealing with this shit you know and it's mm. it's taken a bit of as you said control mm. there's mm. so much you do control and there's a lot you don't yeah. but what you do control is how you respond when this happens and you can respond in two ways you can go within yourself you can eat 14 kilograms of maltesers and go i deserve this cuz i'm stressed or you can go no i'm not i'm not taking this shit dude and i'm going to stand up to you Mm. And I'm going to deal with you and we're going to talk about this. Mm. We're going to pull up the big boy, big girl pants, I always say, and we're going to yeah. deal with it. Yeah. And that is anxiety. Don't let it consume you. It, it is there to protect you. Mm. Reframe it in your life. Don't let don't listen to all the media stuff about don't look at those photographs of girls and guys in a dark corner with their hands over their head to, to emulate what mental health is. That's sort of bullshit. And it's it's mm. it, it, it is not good enough. We're human beings. We have beaten heart. We, we've just gone through a pandemic. I'm stressed to feck. I'm anxious and overwhelmed because I should be. <laughs> but I'm grand. And in the, I always say in the words of Elton John, I'm still standing. And yeah. that's all that matters. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Completely. Yeah. I think as well, like, yeah, it's it's just such an essential thing for people to hear just just other people, just other humans saying things that almost are what going on in their own head. The amount the amount of times when we start talking to people, we realize none of us are that different from each other. We're not. You know? We're not. And I think that's really important is to say, yeah, anxiety, we all need it. How am I going to get up in the morning if I'm not anxious? How am I going to get out of bed and get to work? I'm anxious about being late. I need to say, oh, sugar, I'm late. Get move, move. And, yeah. But what happens is that we get students into us who've been told, who've been diagnosed at 15 and told they're depressed, they're anxious, they're this, they're that. 
what are you like when you're 15? You are in chaos. We all were. I was. Everybody is. How could you diagnose them with anything except you're adolescent and you don't know where you are? And yeah. you lose yourself every day. And I have loads of them who come into me with a, a serious... So my job as a therapist is to strip that away and to say, no, you're a person who sometimes gets anxious, like me, like everyone. But you're not ang- suffering from anxiety mm. with the big A or the big D. It's terrible the way it's been done. And what that does is it disables you because you just go, well, I can't do that because I'm anxious and I won't do that because I'm anxious. And you disable yourself instead of empowering yourself to say, yeah, sometimes I get anxious, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I'm completely. just going to cope with it and do it anyway. Yeah. I'm um I'm a huge campaigner, exactly like Niall said, around, you know, seeing the photos of people with their, their heads over their heads. Um, I'm a huge campaigner for, you know, what uh, childhood trauma, what it looks like as an adult and that, you know, if childhood trauma has happened to you, um, a lot of people stay in silence because they believe that then society will view them differently and the stigma and shame stays part of them. And I very much believe in breaking that stigma. And I'm an advocate for talking out about um, childhood trauma and the fact that, you know, I'm somebody who has dealt with an awful lot of abuse in my life, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't own me. It is a part of what has happened to me. It has meant that I have had to learn different ways of coping and different ways of living my life to the full. And one of the things is about giving yourself permission to take up space in the world, giving yourself permission to be in exactly the way you are and exactly the way you are not. Mm -hmm. And living in a world where we have an awful lot of social media, it's telling us what way we're supposed to look, what way we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. And in right now we don't really need we can put those things away and we can check in with ourselves and we can see that this is the human experience um and it's not I'm your going... shame to carry as well this is a exactly thing in ireland no. this, this this ireland has one of the most darkest paths historically yeah. in the world and we're seen as these good times are oh, irish people bullshit mm. we have stuff we need to carry and deal with and our state don't don't want to deal with it because they're intrinsically linked to it and these are the issues. I'll say mm. those individuals, it is not your shame. No. Full stop. Mm. And it's it's easy to say that. It's hard to work through that to get mm. to that point mm. where you believe it. Mm. But, you know, in terms of campaigning, I, I work with people who've, even my own school, there was huge levels of sexual abuse in my school. My friends, I have friends who aren't here because of it. Mm. And this is the reality of our state. And, our, and we need to address it. We can't do what we do with uncomfortable things and just push them aside. You've got to deal with them, individually and collectively and societally and going like, to and going to college is a time when that allows happen happens because often my students would say well, why is it coming up now why is it coming up now and i said because you are now ready and yeah. you're moved away from home and you can sit and have some perspective and look and say oh my god what was going on there you couldn't do it when you were in there because it wasn't safe it was not safe now you're out of it and you can look back and that's why you have student counseling services and that's what we're here for is to help you with those st- those kind of things that are in the past, but yes, they affect you now. But we want to get rid. We want to take away that effect. So that, yeah. like you said, Kate, you're a stronger, better person for all you've been as a result of all you've been through because of how you've conquered it. And that's what we want for all our students: is to acknowledge what's happened and let it go safely and with help. With help, not by yourself, and not as you say at the bottom of a glass nile or or drugs or whatever, because that it. That doesn't work. And I mean, I think as an Irish society, that's where we've coped a lot with our shame is in substance abuse, because 
that's our thing, our thing. That's the way we deal with it. But it's not adaptive. And I'm not saying don't have a good time. Of course, have a good time. We just don't use it in that way. Don't use yeah. it. Don't use it to quiet those voices within yourself. Those voices need to come out. They yeah. need to come out. Yeah, it completely can be used as a distraction. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sex can be used as a distraction Absolutely. as well. You know, there's there's an awful lot of things that we utilize to make ourselves feel like we're part of this. And I'm doing if, if quotes normal. There's no such thing as normal, but normal society. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, those distracting things. You know, I'm a 40 year old woman. I'm here presenting this podcast and hoping that, you know, this conversation is very much student led. And I'll be talking. Some of the students have um, written into us and I'll be using Using, um, some of those examples in a second but like as a, as a person who has spent the best part of 20 something years of my life uncovering who I am and as Niall said putting back shame and handing back what's not mine to other people and to society or to you know mm. um, the media sometimes it's it's um living your life is, is is an adventure and living your life in my experience is something that if you keep suppressing the stuff that makes you uncomfortable exactly what Niall says then it will keep coming back and you will repeat patterns so now is a really important time to to engage with what's going on internally for you you know yeah. I'm going to read out um we had students uh, from the student body uh, send in now there's been a huge amount of uh, people sending in stuff which has been amazing um so these students are currently in Sligo IT and they're writing specifically about their experiences which may mirror somebody who is starting in Sligo IT So here's one. I get intrusive thoughts that are really hard to shift. Sometimes these thoughts keep me awake and impact on my physical health as I'm sometimes riddled with anxiety. The thoughts are usually about something in the past that I wish I could change. I know I can't change the past and I'm very rational about what happened, but these thoughts still invade my life. And how can I resolve this? Yeah, I mean, and this this is the kind of thing, you know, I should have done better. Why did I say that? Why And it's this record in your head. The first thing to do is to challenge it. And I think what, what, what that person is saying is that they tried that to do that, is to challenge that. But I often say, okay, what are these voices saying to you? So often it is, you're crap, you're so stupid, you're so ignorant. Look at you, look at the state, I mean, the most of. And I say to them, okay, would you, would you say that to a friend? And they say, of course I wouldn't. I said, would you even say it to somebody you hate? Would you say it to somebody, think of somebody you hate, would you say that to them? They say, no, I wouldn't. And I said, well, then why are you saying it to yourself? What are you doing to yourself with saying that? And to challenge that. And they suddenly realize, oh my God, no, I wouldn't. This voice is here and I don't want to listen to it anymore. I need to challenge it. I need to tell it to shut up, shut up, stop. The second thing I would say, quick one, is I would say to people who are so in the in the habit of those intrusive thoughts, I'd say, okay, give yourself a time every day where you're going to sit and think your intrusive thoughts. It can be a half an hour. So it's between six and six thirty every evening. You're going to sit down, you're going to say, We shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that, we shouldn't do the other. And all day when those occur to you, say, I wait until six o'clock. And what happens when six o'clock comes? They're not there anymore. And they haven't given them the time or the space. And that works really well for grief as well or for anything that's overwhelming. And I say, set a timer on your phone. Okay, sit there, cry, get annoyed, get upset. And when the when the alarm goes off, wash your face and get on with life. And it really, really works. And what, what happens is over time, the time shrinks. So it's an hour. And then, oh, no, I didn't need an hour. I needed a half an hour. Then I only needed 10 minutes. I didn't need any time. So they're just two quick, quick ways that can manage. Yeah. And also just to point out, 
we give so much power to thoughts and they're just mental events that's all they are and if you ask yourself why do you speak that way it's not because there's something wrong or broken with you we live in a society that treats us like shit that wants us to feel miserable because when we're miserable we try to outbuy it we try to we try to do something to deal with that so what i will say as a mindfulness therapist the first thing i would do is i wouldn't say we're on thoughts i'd say everyone has a certain pattern of thought like my my patterns were catastrophizing i used to always bring something and make it much bigger and then some people have black and white thinking where they just go it's either this or this there's no in between Mm -hmm. and if you actually take time to go through mindfulness therapy you'll start to find out what type of patterns you have through insight through meditation we call a conscious awareness meditation where you actually ask the mind to go anywhere everywhere it wants but always say to the person you still have the power to come back to the present moment you have that power so if the mind goes too far bring it back and what they start to realize is like i always do the same thing i'm like okay now we have a pattern of thinking now we know that you catastrophize so the next time you catastrophize write it down and what i do which is really good with thoughts is bring a thought and go so like write down the most outrageous thing that could happen so if you think like i you know you know, I got clamped yesterday. I always get clamped. It's what you say in your head. <laughs> and then you go, imagine, you know, an alien came down and bit the clamp off and the spat in the clamper's face. And, <laughs> and you bring it to such an outrageous thing that you start laughing at your thought. And then you realize, oh my God, you're using irreverency to deal with your, your silly thought patterns. And that's not diminishing them. And this particular person said they ruminate a lot about the past. Um, that is usually a depressed kind of thought pattern where you you bring regret, shame, and all these other things, and they, and they they affect your mood. Now we know that she's a ruminator or he's a ruminator, which is great. We have some insight. Now, what do you ruminate about? Why do you ruminate about it? Is it your fault? Nope. Now we're mm-hmm. diminishing that diminishing that ruminating thought, and that's why I'm so once again bringing it back. If I have access to working with people in mindfulness based therapy, you can do this work. You're not going to do this work in headspace or calm or breathe. You're not going to do it with, you know, here's a meditation. You, you've got to go deep and you got to sit with that person because shit comes up sometimes and you need to hold that stuff. And I always say, uh, like from my partner's psychologist, and we always talk about this. I think what mindfulness does, it gives you insight and then mm-hmm. psychology gives you tools. Yeah. And I think that is the combination of, of how I deal with thought. And I have mm-hmm. the most ridiculous thought patterns, guys. The shit that goes on in my head is... And the other very useful one is what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Face Dr. it. Because oh, you're saying, you say, right, oh, I'm going to fail my exam. Okay, okay, so you fail your exam. Oh, let's, let's just take that. Let's just take it to the, so you fail your exam. So you do a repeat in August. Yeah. Okay. So you fail it in August, but then maybe the course isn't, and you just take it to the worst possible scenario. Then they go, oh, yeah, why am I so afraid? So. You know, yeah. the big one is in relationships. You know, I'm afraid to confront my wife and girlfriend about what, what's the worst that could happen, you know. What's the worst? Or, or asking somebody else, you know, the people with social anxiety. They'll put themselves into knots. You say, okay, what's the worst that could happen? They say no. And, big deal, you move on. Even think about it. Think about it. They say no. At least you're not sitting there, I want to do it, I want to do it, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You've done it, and now you know. Or maybe they say yes. But what's the worst that can happen is really, really important. Because as you say, if you catastrophize, the world ends. The world yeah. ends. That's it. It's over. You know, and no, it doesn't. The world doesn't end. <laughs> we keep going on. So, Do you know, yeah. my, this is a, probably a quite a crude way of putting it. And uh, I've never been anything but crude. Uh, but 
my my mate used to always say, do you know what? And he's not a therapist, but he, he says every now and again, he says a line. I'm like, Jesus Christ, where did that come from? And it's gold. He goes, you know what, how I look at the world? He said, he says, do you know when you're 95 years of age and you're pissed all over yourself and you're you're signing out of this world and you realize life's gone, what's going to matter to you then? I think that's what should matter to me now. And yeah. like, and it was this weird way of kind of giving me a perspective conversation, but a really great book to read in that regard is yeah. Tuesdays with Mari. If you ever get a chance to read that I, book, yeah, it's, it's such a powerful piece. Yeah. And I did a, a podcast at, the, at, at Christmas where actually it's it's like it, it, talking about it is emotional because we went into all the nursing homes around Mullingar. We didn't go into them because we couldn't. These people hadn't seen anyone for 12 months. Um, we we did gigs like we put bands out in the car park and they were all watching. I was interviewing them at the at the um, window, and I went to nursing homes. I, I I went to care homes, everything, and I asked them all the same question. They're all you know ninety odd years of age. What matters? And they went family and relationships. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. To love and, and yet, be loved. To yeah. love and be loved. End of. It's yeah. not rocket science, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really isn't. And I think. That is where I think this intergenerational approach to wellness is so important because there's so much you can learn. Don't dismiss people you think they've lived a longer life than you have. They've seen more shit than you will ever see and they got through it. And I remember one of my my mate was like, he's a young kid. He was like, well, they, they, they're too old now to worry about the pandemic. I mean, they lived to a world war, lads. Get over yourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. these are people who experienced and understood. And also in the same regard, you can learn an awful lot from a three-year-old who just looks at oh, the world. Yeah who just thinks their hands are amazing, who shits themselves and you clean it up. What a great, what a great world. And that's or who walks up and gives you a hug because they know something is wrong even though you don't know. Yeah, yeah. We, can, we can learn so much. And I think somewhere along the way, we lose that sense of self and we lose what really matters and we, we, we give it to something else. And we regain it again as we, as we realise that life is, is starting to you know, come to our end. And when we're born, and I think they're the two most important parts in a person's life. If we can find a way to hold on to that sense of yeah. self and don't let anyone else erode it, don't let mm-hmm. systems, states, religion, mm-hmm. anyone else take that from you. And because if, they, if you do, that is your only regret when you're 95 years of age. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, we hear people talk about, you know, don't lose your identity. And I think as well, when you're starting, you're discovering your identity. Mm. You've spent the last number of years discovering your identity and your identity that you are now may not be your identity in 10 years time. Um, but who you are right now is what's important. And, Absolutely. you know, that that um, I was, I was freedom. I was a professional athlete the first day, first year I went to college. I hated rugby. <laughs> I was just doing it because I thought everyone else thought I should do this because it was you know, I love sport. I was a Gaelic footballer. That's that's how I was born and bred. But I I kind of went right. I'm everyone thinks it's great that you're a rugby player. So status. Oh my God, that's that's what matters. I want people to sat my back, and I didn't even care because I didn't feel anything mm-hmm. until I felt in in my own head. Always the thing that drove me was creativity. Whatever that creativity was, that's what made me feel good and connected to the world. But I never thought anyone valued that, so I didn't value it, and I didn't do it. And what I will say to, you know, I, I work a lot with younger people, 14, 15, 16 years of age, and I'll say this to teachers and parents, you have no right to dictate the journey of your child, none. No. If they, you, you cannot tell them. And one of my teachers in school told me every day that I was a waster because I loved music, every single day. He said the very same thing to another guy who went to my school, uh, Niall Horn. So <laughs> this is the reality. You've no right to dictate. And this, this journey may shift. 10 times when you're in college 
but don't let anyone else dictate what it is. And the, the other part of going to college, and I think, you know, you know, we look at psychological milestones and people start to seem to think that you reach adolescence and that's the end. There are no more milestones, you know. Oh, yeah, well, we've had walking, talking and now we're... No, but the, the very important one between the ages of 18 and 22 is to is to firm up the identity that you experimented with when you were an adolescent. You know, you're a goth one day and then you're a hippie and then you're this and then you're that. And as you say, I'm playing this this day. No, no, I'm not a musician. No, I'm in a, a band. No, I'm doing something else. I'm, but in college, then you solidify. And the other most important thing is that you separate from your family of origin. That needs to happen. So, you know, when they come to college first, they say, no, but I'm homesick and I'm this and I'm that and whatever. This is, and parents may be holding on to them. No, you need to let them go because they need, in order to establish their own families and their own relationships, they need to let go of this one. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think a lot of the issues, the family related issues, come up as they try and negotiate that because there can be an awful lot of, it, the more dysfunction your family was, the more you'll try and hang on to it, which is, sounds mad, but it's true. I'm afraid it's backwards. Yeah. You try and hang on to it. So when you come to college and you try and make that separation, the dysfunction comes up. But that's the time then you can deal with it. But don't be feeling bad and don't be letting your parents put the guilt on you. Oh, you should be coming home and you should be doing this. No, you shouldn't. You need to find out who you are and you need to do that on your own two feet. And I don't mean that you never talk to your folks or anything else. I don't mean that. Of course not. But I'm just saying they need to let you go and not hold on to you. And we would have a bit of that of just holding on. And there's parents trying to live vicariously to their children. Maybe you're maybe somebody in your house wanted to be a rugby player and never were or whatever or some you know this idea of it has to be you, your you, job. You said it, um, but I think <laughs> and I'm gonna say this like after the year you guys have had the the bullshit with the oh. with the go and milk the crap out of this. You have the mm -hmm. time. Go and let it go. And you you know even if it feels uncomfortable sometimes and it feels once it's legal, go for it. And so, absolutely, yep. you deserve yeah. it. And mm -hmm. The, the other thing I'll say that's really important is please, please, please don't see this as a lost year. You've built a lived experience oh. that no self-help book will teach you. Nothing. No Oprah Winfrey quote will teach you. This is lived experience. It's very powerful stuff. And the next shit show that comes your way, and surprise, surprise, there will be another one, you'll feel like you can deal with it. Because you'll feel mm -hmm. like, well, this doesn't feel as overwhelming as what I thought it would because you've no. just gone through this. Mm -hmm. So it's not been nice. No one's enjoyed it. But it's not wasted. There's huge learning from it. There's massive learning for it. And what I love about them is how resilient they are in it all. And, you know, I'm sitting, how in the name of God have you coped? Sitting at, looking at a screen all day, trying to do labs online and writing them up. How are you doing this? This is incredible. So they have built incredible resources. But again, like they're so, you are so resilient. You know, you're way more resilient. You know, the, the people talk about building resilience and creating resilience. You are resilient. It's just other people maybe have told you you're not. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Other people, other people always invade and tell, mm -hmm. tell us things that we we don't want to believe ourselves. Mm -hmm. But there's some little machine in our head going, oh, maybe they're right. Mm -hmm. You know, I always think that I, I at the moment through the therapy that I have been doing, I always sort of and um picture a little librarian that lives in my head and then there's a little reptile and the reptile part of my brain is always going uh, into you know but there's something wrong and doesn't have the language for it and the librarian is there very studiously trying to find the memory or find the thing to point oh yeah that's it that's what it is and confirm it and neither the reptile or the librarian speak the same language so you, you know you just end up being kind of like stuck and it's just a really 
I think it's I found that useful to just be like, okay, my librarian is trying to figure out what's wrong, and do you know what? There's nothing wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong. Exactly. And you brought your book back late. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and your reptile is there just keeping you alive, being amazing, yeah. because ultimately our brains are powerful tools. They're machines. They make meaning and they keep us alive. And then what we need to do is connect into our body and our soul and whatever way you need to do that. If that is by playing sport, if that is listening to music and going for walks, if that is conversing with people around a kitchen table, whatever way you connect in with yourself and connect with other people is what matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me, Gertie, and thank you so much for joining me, Niall. Is there anything else that you would say to the students of Sligo IT this September? Uh, best years of your life is what I would say. Yeah, you know, and best years, best years of your life, and don't let anybody take them away. And I'm not saying it won't be hard and you won't have crap days, but but and the other thing we always see, lots of people meet the majority of people meet their partners in college. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Jeez, don't put them on. Jesus, Gertie, that was <laughs> fucking hell. I certainly didn't, I can tell you that. Um, but uh, I think for me, the, the most important thing to say, I suppose, with what was I going to say around college is it's um, is genuinely milk it. Go, mm-hmm. go for it. But also it is w- what I do know for the years I've dealt with my own head and have worked with other people is one of the most effective forms of therapy is peer support. Yeah. never underestimate the power of a friend uh, and that's what that image is behind me that is Joe Casson piece that he did for Lust for Life that is a man being held up by two other men um, because you will fall and that's just part of part of life and, and what you need is your friends as your emotional scaffolding to hold you up uh, and that's it and we know peer support you can talk about all the forms of other supports but we know peer support is the most effective form start peer groups get people through stuff help them you are the most effective therapist if you can help your friends and your job your job mm-hmm. is not to fix people your job is just not yeah. to judge them you have no idea what anyone's dealing with in any given moment and start from a place of non-judgment and you'll do fine yeah absolutely thank you so much Cheers, well. thanks kate hi my name is dara martin i'm it Sligo students union president for the academic terms 21 22 um one tip that i have for for students obviously as well as getting involved with as much as you can so clubs and societies get involved with those um but as well as that get involved with some of the social uh, social evenings at the nights out so we'll be organizing plenty of nights out we'll be organizing hopefully safe and controlled uh, nights out as well until government guidelines um ease up a little bit but um I, i'd really recommend going out there and make new friends uh, meet people from outside your courses outside your classes and uh, get familiar with sligo as, as well as it sligo so get familiar with the town itself you know like everyone's in the same boat you know going in second year personally I've never been on campus so you know I'll, I'll be looking for my class as well so don't worry about it if you get lost Hi guys my name is Saskia Dooley and I'm the welfare officer and IT Sligo student union um, I guess myself I moved down from Bray and I knew absolutely no one coming into college and I did get lucky I found one friend on the first day going into induction but I guess a top tip would be fake it till you make it, be confident, talk to people, just introduce yourself. You'll find someone with a common interest and you'll enjoy the rest of your year in IT Sligo. If you've been affected by the topics raised in this week's episode and need to talk to someone, you can contact the following organisations. Students at IT Sligo can text IT Sligo to 50808. Nationwide, text hello to 50808. It's free and confidential. 
Students in IT Sligo can contact Student Counselling Services on 071-930-5463 or online email studentcounsellor at itsligo.ie. Samaritans operate a 24-7 service. Contact 116-123 or email joe at samaritans.ie. Women's Aid also operate 24-7. Their crisis number is one 800 341 900 Thank you.